caveat that and put that all together. Well, church, it is so good to be with you all this morning. Uh, normally, I have a, I have a joke, um, but I forgot to get one together. And uh, normally, I also have a PowerPoint, and I still have PowerPoint. I have God's power that's going to help me make the point this morning. So... We're just kind of stripping back to basics. You ever have one of those weeks where everything's just busy and you, you just do the essentials? I promise there's a sermon. It's right here. I even typed it this time. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but we are going to bring God's word. We're going to look at something that is extremely, extremely important this morning. And I think for that reason, too, there's no sense in delaying getting into what, what God has uh, laid on my heart that... I believe that the children of God need to hear to be able to share about Him. So let us pray and ask God's blessing to be on our time of study together. Father, thank You for all of Your many blessings, for giving us this time to come together to worship and to praise You, to, Lord, talk about You and to share about Your Gospel, Your good news, that most important message that the world has ever heard and that the world needs to hear. Father, embolden us and empower us to speak your gospel and your truth, but Lord, first help us to know it before we can ever share it. Father, speak directly into our hearts and our minds right now that we might receive from you and therefore pull, uh, pour back out, Lord, what we have received into the world around us, into our family, into our friends, into our co-workers and just the people that we bump into from time to time. Lord, let us never forsake an opportunity share your gospel. But Lord, let us know it today. Know it through your word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I typically start with a scripture, which is coming, I promise. Very biblical message, I promise. But I need to, and, and, and feel compelled to ask you a question when I was putting this sermon together. Uh, as you notice, the title of it is a question that kept coming back to my mind. If someone were to come up to you and to ask you, what must I do to be saved, what would you tell them? I hear some mumbling, some answers. Some of us know a response. Um, some of us may be, and I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just saying how it is, might be a little timid if somebody came and asked us that question to be perfectly honest, because I don't know you that personally, so I just, in a broad scope, if there's conviction, it ain't for me, it's from the Lord. A lot of times I, I feel it's because we just don't know what to say. We don't know how to respond. But if somebody were to come up and ask us, what must I do to be saved? Because we believe the gospel is the good news, the most important message ever heard, we have to be ready to give them a response. We have to be ready to tell them what they must do to be saved because that moment may pass them by. The Bible says that God seeks workers to go out in the vineyards, to go out at time of harvest, but there are times He doesn't find any. So guess what happens because God cannot find workers. There is a crop, part of a crop that's lost. Forever. 
God could have chosen a lot of ways to impart His gospel, His good news, to this world. Sometimes I wish He would have chosen a different way besides me. And you, sometimes maybe you feel like that too. Because I feel inadequate many days to proclaim the gospel. But that's the way He's chosen it. There is no backup plan. There's no option B. There's no option C. No option D. There's only one way and one plan that God uses to preach and proclaim His gospel to the world, to tell people about Him, and that's through people who have claimed to accept it for themselves. So if somebody were to come up to us and ask, what must I do to be saved? We are obligated, if you call yourself a Christian, say amen. You are therefore obligated to tell them, because you have accepted it, what they must do to be saved. Paul told us in the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 17, I, I wouldn't flip there just because I'm using this as an aside verse. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If someone hears the Gospel, there will likely be an opportunity that will be given them to respond to that Gospel. If they see the Gospel in us, or they hear the Gospel, a good brother says, what David? Preach and teach. When preaching and teaching is necessary, use words. I asked because I couldn't remember all of it and didn't want to say it wrong. Couldn't even remember how to jumpstart you. But that's the truth. When preaching and teaching, if necessary, use words. Somebody might hear the gospel like sitting, maybe you're sitting here today and you're hearing the gospel the first time or this is the first time that the gospel is meaning something to you. Uh, if that's the case, your faith comes by hearing. But sometimes we see the gospel and hear it loudly displayed in the lives of other people. A lot of the times it's because God changed us from a dirty, rotten scoundrel and we're so different than who we used to be that our personality change so loudly walks around with us that people cannot help. But no, what is it about you that has changed? What is it about you that is different what is it about you that, that gives you such a wonderful disposition where you used to just not be like that at all? When someone hears the gospel, no matter how it may be, there will likely be an opportunity if they are around us that we will be given to respond to their question. But again, I ask, what will we say? What will we say? Now you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look from the start at verse 1. Keep it open because we're going to come back to it. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. You can grab a pew Bible. Uh, later on, you can join us with what's in the bulletin because it was just too much to put there. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I just want to apologize to those who I have spoiled with PowerPoint. Sorry I let you down. 
Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Look up a neighbor if you have to. Just kind of peer over their shoulder if you want to, want to read it too. Acts chapter 2. Under the chairs. Absolutely. Grab one if you, if you can. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. These are the apostles. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. How I would have loved to have been there. How I'd love to have been there. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in their own native language? That's basically saying these guys are rednecks and I'm pretty sure they have a hard enough time with the language that they were taught as a child. That is really what that means. And I claim to only be good at English, so God's going to have to give me something to be able to say something else. I can ask you where the bathroom is in Spanish. That's it. That is it. And that's pretty much what they were saying to these people. They have a hard enough time with their own language. How, how are they able to say this in the languages of everybody else around them? Aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8. Then how is each of us able to hear them in their own native language? These are the people that were there. Forgive me if I botcher some of these names, but I'm going to do the best I can. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? All these people from every known nation at that time gathered together hearing these words in their own language. What does this mean? I love this verse. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. It was the morning time, y'all. Something is going on and we just can't make sense of it. Sound familiar at times? Maybe in your life something is just going on and it looks different than what you've ever displayed before. Because you see, folks, when the power of God fell on the apostles for the first time, it was both miraculous and puzzling. Now, I wish I could spend more on this occasion specifically, but the point that is to be taken from this passage in this event is that these men were not doing this of themselves. They were not doing it of their own power, by any earthly power. There's only one way that these men could have done this, spoken in any known language to any person that was listening there, each one hearing what they had to say. It could not be men. It could not be wine. It had to be God. Period. There are times when God shows up in our lives or in a life that is totally unmistakable. You can try to rationalize it any other way, but there's only one real answer. 
and only one that the person who knows the change should proclaim. It wasn't me. It wasn't a counselor. It wasn't my own ability. No, it was God. God in the inner workings of my life using everything that's going on and even a radical change at that very moment at times. God changed me. I'm not saying that these things in life that we seek after are not good things to help us, but there are times when a life changes like a light switch all at once because Jesus got a hold of somebody and they are not the same man or woman that they used to be. You couldn't used to stand to be around them, but now you can't help yourself but find times and find ways to be around them. You cannot help yourself but trying to to be engaged with them because they speak in a different way than they used to. They might have slandered God at one point, but now they cannot give Him enough credit. There are times there is a total change. That uncle or that aunt, that sister or that brother that you couldn't stand to see at family functions, and now they're just the most enjoyable person there. Even at times that person who sat in the pew across from you you tried to avoid because they needed a little extra dose of Jesus and now they found it. God shows up at times in our lives and unmistakably moves just like these men when it was asked of them, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? Aren't all these who are speaking just simple men, uneducated, Church, it doesn't matter. And this is the wonderful truth of the gospel. When God tells us that we need to go, therefore, Jesus did, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. When he says teaching them, get this, even lowly Galileans, common men, fishermen who never probably cracked a book in their life, and the only sense they had was common sense. If they can proclaim the gospel with power and vigor in such a way that it survives over 2,000 years and so many thousands to millions of people have accepted Christ over those years, church, if they could do it, so could we. There is no excuse. If you don't feel capable enough, if you don't feel ignorant, if you feel ignorant, if you feel like you can't do it, you need to ask God for help because He'll pour out the Holy Spirit on you just as He did them. Maybe not in the exact same way, but He will give you a knowledge and an understanding. God will make Himself known, He tells us, as long as we seek for Him to be known in our life. If we want to know God, don't sit on the couch and watch TV when you could be reading reading His Word. If you say, oh, I just wish I could understand like so-and-so. I wish I could teach like David. Or I wish I could preach like the brother at the Christian church across the town. I wish, I wish, I wish I had the spirit of that woman who's in the ladies' class who's just so sweet and powerful and you can tell God is in her life. Stop saying those things because God will give them to you if you ask. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit because He traded, He trained a group of not just one, Peter, but a whole group of Galileans. Mess of rednecks got together, y'all. And he used these 12 original men from the very start to start the most wonderful revolution this world has ever seen. A revolutionary idea that you don't have to be like you are forever. 
If you were in sin, you don't have to be stuck that way. Church, if we really seek power and change of the gospel like these disciples had resting upon them, people are going to notice a difference. They're going to see it sometimes progressively, easier to work with, easier to deal with, more easier to love, more wonderful to be around. Then there are times it's just going to change right then. Don't expect it overnight, even though God may give it. If it happens over time, isn't something still happening over time better than not happening at all? Amen? God wants to do wonderful things if we just simply open our life to Him. And like the disciples, there are going to be times when they try to find rationales for the reasons that we've changed. They're going to ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? What made the change in their life? And there's only one answer if it's of God, and it's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who made the change. I want to read. I'm not going to spend time in it. I just want you to hear what, what Peter said when people ask, what are these men doing? What made the change in them? What, what is so much different about them now? This is what Peter did and this is what we should do. We should stand up with boldness and we should proclaim the change that Jesus Christ made in our life. This is what Peter proclaimed that day. Verse 14, Acts chapter 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. You might have to tell somebody in your life to listen intently. Listen to what Jesus can do. I know it seems far-fetched, but it is so true. It's so wonderful. If it changed me, I believe it can change you. That's what he's saying. Listen carefully to what I say. Verse 15. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Come on, we don't do that till later. No, that's not what he said. That is not what he said. He said these men are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, verse 17, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great Lord and the glorious day of Him. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God uh, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You have seen what Jesus has done is what he's telling them. You cannot deny what you have seen because it was God's authority resting on him that these things were done. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Praise the Lord. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongues rejoice. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. 
God will never leave us nor forsake us is what that means. You will not let your Holy One see decay. The righteous will not suffer with the wicked. Stand on that promise. You have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with your joy and your presence. Verse 29, fellow Israelites, I cannot tell you, I can, or excuse me, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. I love this part. Verse 30, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised him, raised Jesus to life, and we are all witness of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That one verse alone is the Gospel. That one verse alone is the Gospel. This is the Gospel message. Church, this is what you need to know. If someone asks, what must I do to be saved? Tell them your testimony Tell them what Jesus has done. And it's not just what Jesus has done in my life. This is what He's done before to make a way for you and to make a way for me. Again, this is the Gospel message. Christ coming to seek and save the lost. Christ living to proclaim God's salvation that you don't have to die apart from Him in sin, but you can live in freedom, in new life because Christ died to cover sin by the shedding of his blood but he didn't just die no he raised in newness of life victorious over sin and death because he lives we shall live also and to this day christ is seated at the right hand of the father and his presence the holy spirit has descended on all of us to embody the believer the ones who are saved through christ to live not transformed by the ways and patterns of this world, but transformed by the renewing of their minds in Christ Jesus. No longer bound to the ways of this world, no longer trying to become only better in this world, but trying to become better for what God has prepared. That's not only good for heaven, but that changes our direction and the lives of the people around us in the here and now. That's the gospel message, some form or fashion of it. You'll probably say it some different way than I will. But if you have these elements together, you can help lead someone to Christ. Because when they see the change in you, they're going to ask. And you're going to have an opportunity to tell. And we need to be ready to tell. Paul said you need to be ready in season and out of season to give account of the gospel. That is what he has said. There's a command to the believer, give account of the gospel in season and out of season. Be ready, church. I don't mean to make you feel bad if, they're, if you're not, you think in your heart and mind there yet. I don't mean to make you feel bad. I hope to raise you up because you can become servant of Christ who not only sits in the benefits of God, but who spreads them out to everyone that they come in contact with. Everyone who knocks, the door is answered. The one who seeks, they shall find. 
Church, if we ask God, He will pour out on us. Especially when it has to do with helping more people come to know Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us with assurance that that is true. Because God would have it that none should perish, Paul said. But how does that end? But that everyone would have everlasting life, eternal life. Let's quote John 3.16 just for the sake of it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. If you feel a missing hole because you don't feel adequate to share the Gospel, ask God and He will pour it out because He'd have nothing more than more people to come because He was excited about when you came. The Bible tells us that the angels rejoice in heaven when even one lost sinner is saved. Whenever one person finds a better way in Jesus Christ than they could find in the world, God rejoices with the angels. He tells them, it's time to get the party started. He doesn't need a whole group. He just wants one. If He can get more, that's even better. God is ready always to set another place at the table to pull out another robe and crown for someone to wear when they make it to glory. God is not limited. He has an overabundance of resources and He wants to pour it out to anyone who will ask. We need to be ready to tell people, I came to Christ because. I came to Christ because of the Gospel. Because people are going to ask us questions just like they did. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, heard the gospel preaching of Peter, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Their question, what shall we do? What must I do to be saved from this wrath? We realize we messed up in the sight of God. Their great crime was crucifying Christ. But I don't know if you realize this or not. Our great crime is the very same. If it wasn't for our sins, even just one, Christ would have had to go to the cross to die to cover us of our sins forever. Even if it was just me. I'm not going to just say just you, but it is you too. But even if it was just me, Christ would have willingly come and died so that our sins would be covered. People today will still be cut to the heart, cut to the quick, if they hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But there has to be someone there to tell them. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Church, they have to see it. They have to hear it. We have to be ready to proclaim it. I would encourage you, if you don't feel adequate enough to, sh to share the gospel, if you, if you don't feel like at this point, yeah, I never feel adequate, I just want to say that. It's not a state you reach and you're like, boop, I'm good. I can tell anybody now. Look at me. I'm Mr. Super Christian. It's not about that. It's not about that at all. 
And it never should be about that. But there comes to a place where you can rest in God's promise that He will give you the words to say. Take the Holy Spirit as word as a comforter and, and allow Him to speak through you. That you don't shy away from an opportunity to talk about the Gospel, but that you embrace it. If God puts you in that opportunity, that you take it. We're still inadequate, but pray, Lord, help me. I don't know how many times I've prayed that in my head. God help me. I don't know what to tell them. God help me. If you're at the point where you can say, God help me, you're ready. And when somebody comes, when they say, what shall we do? We need to respond. Listen to this the exact same way. When somebody comes... We need to respond the exact same way. Verse 38. Somebody says, what shall we do when they've been cut to the heart by the gospel? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. Again, repent. And be baptized, each one of you, for the, for the remission. It comes right off the tongue because that's how I memorize it, you know, King James. For the forgiveness or the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When somebody asks us, what shall we do to be saved? This is our answer. It should be our answer. You want to know why it should be our answer? Because it's biblical. It's in the book. It should be our answer. When somebody asks, what shall we do to be saved? It's in the book. People and scholars and denominations spend a lot of time arguing, what shall we do to be saved? I want to simply remind you today that if you're looking for an answer, if you're looking for a source, you find the purest water at its source. If you're looking for the best answer, you find the purest water at its source. The very first time the Gospel was preached, Jesus told Peter, you are now not to be called Simon, but you are to be called Peter. You are to be the rock upon which I build my church. He's not talking about a literal rock. He's talking about the rock-solid foundation of the gospel. The most important message ever heard. This is the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ was ever proclaimed in its fullness. This is the first time that people ever responded to the gospel. If you want to know what you must do to be saved, or you want to know how you might tell somebody else what they must do to be saved, go to the source. Go to where the water is purest. Because if you follow the stream down far enough, you will find that there's still water. But there's an awful lot of cattle fields you probably walked through to get there. A lot of deer that have died beside the water and animals that have found themselves doing things beside the water that we do in the bathroom. You get my point? The further you travel down, the more muddy the waters get. I don't care how many rocks the water flows over, as they say, seven rocks, the water becomes pure. The water is always the purest at the source where it comes from, where it comes out. Church, when somebody asks what they shall do to be saved, Point them to this passage. Because instead of memorizing different ways of salvation, different catchy phrases and acronyms, and there's even one or two in our movement, instead of memorizing these things, why not just memorize the Bible? Why not just memorize Scripture? I'll do it for you, for example. 
When somebody asks, what shall I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not quoting a catchy way. I'm not showing you a cube like some people do. I'm not trying to put these people down, but I'm telling you the Bible. If you can memorize this, when somebody asks you, what must I do to be saved? You can tell them not what you have said, not what man has said. You can tell them what God has said through His Word, by His own mouth. Oh my goodness, we're running short on time. Let me tell you these things. First, when we look at this, we must repent. That means to turn from your old ways, to turn from the world and turn to God. Not just by your own help, but by His. It's a mental decision that I am going to try to stop living for the world and embrace Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing is, is when we do that, we receive help from God. We turn to Him in faith that He can help us, that He can save us, that He can resurrect our dead lives and make them vibrant and full, abundant life. As Jesus says, turn from your sin and turn to God with His help. This is possible. And the reason He tells us to repent is the fact that the world can't save us. If we keep walking with the world, if we keep walking with sin, the Bible tells us at the end of time that all sin is going to be destroyed with fire. If there is sin found within us that is unconfessed, that we are hanging on to, that we have not given to God, because sin is going to be destroyed by fire, guess what also is going to get destroyed by fire? Boom. Right here. Now, we are all sinners that fall short of the glory of God. We sin, as David said, I sin every day. But the fact of the matter is, who are you hanging on to? Are you hanging on to Jesus, and the sin is just something you're trying to shake off? Or are you hanging on to sin, and Jesus is something you're trying to shake off because you'd rather have the sin? That's the question of identification. What am I identifying with? Would I rather have the sin, or would I rather have Jesus Christ? Just because, as David says, I stand in the garage does not make me a car. Just because I say I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I am. What does it mean when Jesus said to pick up your cross and follow me? Have you done that? Are you trying? Because Jesus said He'll bear it with us. He'll carry our heavy load and our heavy burden. And let me tell you something. Sometimes the gospel is a heavy burden because the world does not like it. The world can't stand it. The world hates it. But with Jesus' help, it is possible to carry it. And to not only survive in this world, but to thrive in it. The hard task of carrying the cross, we can still thrive because Jesus says it's the best way of life. It is abundant living. Though your sorrow may last for the night, your joy shall come in the morning. We must repent, turn from the world that can't save us, and turn to God, to Christ that can. The next part is extremely important just as any other part is, but it's the part that tends to be overlooked and is that we should be baptized. Repent and be baptized. There is nothing separating that. There's no comma. There's no ampersand. There's no nothing. There's no aside. There's no quotation marks. Repent and be baptized. A command. Both of them. You cannot have one without the other. I'm just letting you know that. And also, in likewise fashion, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That is confessing Him. Confessing Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And we have to do it, as the original language says, by way of immersion, by going fully under the water. It is something that He has commanded us to do, and therefore we should follow it, and I'm going to tell you why. The first thing I'd like to say is that it is an act of faith. 
A lot of people like to say that baptism is just a work, and it can be. I can go down in that water, you can go down that water, maybe you did, thinking that this is all i got to do to please God, and I can be a scoundrel the rest of my life, I can do whatever I want just because I've been dunked and taken a bath, which you could have done at home, that that's done saved me. No, the true believer, baptism is an act of faith. James said in verse, uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and distributed uh, of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you didn't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There has to be at times when we put flesh and bone on our spiritual faith. You want to know why we have to do that? Because we live in a physical world. God had to put on flesh and bone in Jesus Christ. It said the Word became what? Flesh. First chapter of the book of John, when He preached His gospel, the first words out of the gate, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. There are times when the flesh and the Spirit have to meet. Baptism is a work enabled by faith. We go into baptism because of our faith. When we are baptized, we take God at His Word in faith that because we have confessed our sins, we have repented, and now we are being baptized by way of immersion, we say, God, in faith, my baptism is a sign of my showing forth of my love for You. My baptism is not just a sign, but it is also the moment that the transaction is made. You are showing yourself, you are showing the Word, but you are making the transaction in that moment. It is not just a symbol, but it is also an act of faith. And remember, I just want to tell you, the act of baptism alone does not save us. But our faith and our work together at that point, our faith in God and our effort of baptism, taking God at His Word and doing what He said in faith, that is what makes the difference. The place where we find sacrament, not symbolism, but sacrament. It's the place, by definition, when the human and the divine meet. And God has promised that if you repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you will receive the forgiveness of sins but you will not receive the forgiveness of sins unless these things are done. That is the logical flow of that passage. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, or excuse me, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive forgiveness for your sins. It is the place where the human meets the divine. This is why Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is him talking about what mysteries take place at baptism that we don't understand, but that God sees and ordains. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are all those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Or did you not know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? These who were baptized were baptized into His death. We are therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead in the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
It is in that water that the old man and woman dies and the new man in Jesus Christ or new woman raises in newness of life. It's the place that if your baptism was more than just a work to make God happy and it was in faith that God would cleanse you from sin, that is where the transaction, that is where the difference, that is where people say there is something different about you because you opened up the door of your heart to God. Baptism is a divine appointment, and if we cannot believe in faith through this act of baptism, then we can't believe in things like confession and prayer. Because the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to, with our mouth, confess. As it's also said, with your mouth confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord and you shall be saved. If there is no confession, if there is no physical act to God, the, the divine and human life cannot meet. The same way with prayer. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you don't pray, God will not pour out what I mentioned at the very beginning. If we do not pray, God cannot pour out. If we do not seek, we cannot find. There are times when the human has to meet the divine and that is when God can make the transaction. Because just as the sacrifices of old there must be a moment in time when the sacrifice is made, just like Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. The divine had to meet the human, so the human could meet the divine. A sacrament that we look back to, that Calvary's hill that made all the difference. And it's in this baptism where we all die to self and we rise in Christ. It's the place where the old man and woman goes away. Behold, the new has come. And I'd like to, to say, I know that may be a tough issue. Maybe that's the first time you've heard that because of different walks of faith and different teachings. I'm just simply telling you today what the Bible has told me. And under conviction, I cannot tell you anything else than what the Bible has said. I'm not preaching you theology. I read no commentaries. I read the Bible. I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I give you further evidence, and I encourage you, to go read the entire book of Acts. And if you can tell me of one conversion where baptism didn't take place, again, water's pure, set your source, uh, then, then my message would be bunk. Church, it's, it's, it's not. Go and look if you'd like, but this is what God has said. And so this is what I'd like to say. Instead of arguing about baptism, I'd like to suggest that we would stop as a whole, not just here, but as abroad. Stop arguing about baptism and instead marvel at it. It is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing that somebody goes down the water and Christ comes and fills their being. As the Scripture says, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I can't think of anything more, marvel, more marvelous and mystical than that. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, as he says, behold. All things are becoming new. He is saying, behold this wonderful, mystical process whereby which the human meets the divine. It is beautiful to me. How oh God can take a simple act of faith. and He can change a life. Come and talk to me sometime about even the just few people I've baptized in my time tell you about some of the differences Christ made in them. I love it when the human meets the divine. 
finish reading the rest of the passage for yourself as I bring this thing to a close. What it means to live in newness of life. Because again, if it's of faith, there's going to be a devotion to the, to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God. There's going to be devotion to the breaking of bread, the communion that we take. There's going to be devotion to the fellowship of the believers where we're not going to forsake this lest we grow weary and lose heart, as Paul said in the book of Hebrews. If Christ has really taken a hold of our life, it's going to take a hold of us. We're going to be a different man, different woman. It said everybody was giving away their possessions. Everybody was giving away all that they had. They weren't trying to hold it to themselves. And I'm not saying that God has said to do that and just give everything to the church or give it to missions. But if God calls you to do it, do it. He might change you so much that you held so tightly to your wallet you wouldn't give a man a dollar. You might be somebody that wouldn't give somebody a second chance or a second look if they walked by you and looked like they were hurting in need of help. You wouldn't have helped a child who had gotten lost because that was the man or the woman you used to be. God has changed you and now you're giving people a second look. You are doing things that in your nature you wouldn't have normally done. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing it is when God comes in and changes a life and He does it by this way. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, let's marvel at that. Let us never, ever, ever lose sight of the gospel. Let us never hear the gospel and simply pass it by. But let us, let it linger in our hearts and our minds. Thank God for it. Tell somebody else about it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day and all of your blessings and for bringing us here given us this time to gather and to study. I thank you, Lord, for this so important message of what it is we must do to, to leave our life of sin and follow you in faith. Thank you that it has been sealed for us throughout eternity that today we might still be blessed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We marvel at your gospel. We marvel at the day that the human meets divine. The transaction was made that took us from this world to glory. Gave us a mansion or a room, whatever you want to give it to us. Just being there with you, that's good enough. Thank you for that. Thank you for these people and pray that just as the people of old that we'll still be cut to the heart by the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. I just simply want to say, if you've never accepted the gospel before, I pray that you come, that you repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who's going to help you live in newness of life. I pray that that's you. I pray that you'll come. If you are praying for somebody who hasn't come to Christ and you're afraid to talk to them, I pray that you'll come. You'll lay them down at the altar and ask God to help fill you with the ability and the boldness to loudly proclaim His gospel into the lives of the people that need to hear it, that no longer, Lord, am I timid, but that I'm bold, not because of me, but because of you. 
If there is somebody, some gospel that needs to be proclaimed in your life, may you bring that burden to Him for their name or for those people, for that family maybe, your family. And ask the Lord for boldness to speak back out into their lives. And I also offer the invitation to anyone who's hurting in this place for any reason. Still find help and hope in Jesus Christ. The good news that God does care about you and everything that bothers you. That He wants to do something about it. Would you stand and sing with us? The invitation is made.